Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Take your Bibles out. Turn to Exodus. Exodus chapter 32 today. So good to have you guys here. If you're a guest, thank you again for coming to be with us. Uh, We just finished our trip to Nicaragua. We showed you some pictures of the upcoming Costa Rica trip. Going to be an awesome time, both construction and medical. And so if you want to go, we need those deposits in by November the 6th. They will change your life, and you will be a part in changing lives of uh, hundreds, thousands possibly in Costa Rica. So if you want to go and be a part of that, you can uh, let us know. Exodus chapter 32, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. It's exciting to be a part of Faith Assembly, exciting to have you here. As you come to church, what happens is God works in us and changes us. There's something about the celebration time of coming together, of being with one another in the family of God, encouraging each other, and through this process, we are changed. But it's not just only about God changing us. He wants us to be world changers. He wants us to make a difference wherever we go. It's not just about coming in and allowing God to do his work in our hearts and lives. And so we're talking about this month, how to change the world. And the very first week we had a missionary, Joseph Gordon. If you missed him, he was here two weeks ago. I would encourage you to go back and listen to it online or buy that CD. It will challenge and stir your hearts. And we talked about reaching literally all around our world. And we believe Faith Assembly is a missions church. And God has called us to give and reach out, and that's why we take missions trips, and that's why we send missionaries. Last week, we looked at ourselves about how we ourselves are called to be world changers wherever God has placed us. So in other words, not just enough to excuse me, send a missionary out there, but God wants to use us wherever he's placed us to be world changers in our jobs, in our schools, in our wherever God places you, wherever God uses you, you're called to change the world around you one person at a time. And we looked at the incredible story of Nehemiah and how that he heard, had a passion for God. He had a burden. He was driven by that burden. And he went back and made incredible change as he heard the voice of God. We launched Love Week last week, and so many of you were involved in that throughout the week. Some of you through your groups, some of you just loving people, uh, just all around, cleaning up yards and helping others and involved in other ministries around. And so thank you so much for being a part of our Love Week. Today we're going to look at praying to change our world. I want this to be a church of world changers, amen? And we can do it with the Lord. So let's read a story. We're going to look at Exodus 32 and verse 9. And the power of prayer to change our world. Verse 9. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and by your mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it is with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent. 
Do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants this land I promised them, and it will be an inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Wow. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you, God, for your sweet presence here already, for the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. We thank you, Lord, today for the power of prayer. And I pray, God, that you will engage us, not as just the people who will give and who themselves will be a part of spreading the good news, but, Lord, we will pray for our world, we'll pray for our nation, we'll pray for our lost loved ones, we'll pray for our family, God, and as we begin to engage in spiritual warfare we will begin to see things change all around us so help us teach us from your word today we pray we ask it in your mighty name amen and amen god bless you you may be seated the thought that an all-knowing unchangeable god could change his mind is mind-boggling god says i am a god who changes not And yet, in his character, never, ever changes. He will always be a good, good God. He will always be an all-powerful God. He is always an all-knowing God. And yet to think Moses would have the audacity, the boldness, the relationship, the spiritual authority to go in and pray and cause an unchangeable God to literally change his mind is amazing. Prayer is powerful. Prayer moves the hand of God. Prayer is not just a simple idle exercise we go through because I'm supposed to do it. Prayer can change and move the heart of God himself. I want you to give you the background to this story very, very quickly. Israel has been delivered out of bondage. They had been in bondage to the Egyptians for some 400 years. Egypt is a nation filled with idol worshipers, and so this is their religion. They had the sun gods, the moon gods, all their idols, and this is who they worshiped. And God comes down, and he shows himself to be more strong and more powerful than all the gods of the Egyptians. And so every idol they worshiped, he'd send a plague and kind of put down the god of their frogs and the god of their lice and the god of the skies and the god of the darkness. And and through all these series of plagues, he brings the land of Israel out of Egypt and delivers them and sets them free. So they're on their way and they're traveling through the Sinai Peninsula. And God calls Moses and he says, Moses, come up on top of the mountain. And so he goes up on top of Mount Sinai and he leaves the people down there. He is going to be up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And it's there God will give him the constitution for the nation of Israel. He will give them the Ten Commandments. He will give them all the other laws that will govern them as a nation, both socially, politically, and in every way. He will give them the pattern for the tabernacle. He will give them the feast days and their festivals they would serve and the whole sacrificial system. He gives it to Moses on top of the mountain, and God is writing it all down. He's been gone a while and the people begin to get worried and they get anxious and frustrated and they say, where has Moses been all these days? We may never see him again. And they talk Aaron into making a God that they can see. 
Now, they had been worshiping gods they could see in Egypt for a long time, and so they make a calf somewhat like the calf gods they would worship in the land of Egypt. There is something about men and women that they want a God they can see. It's always been that way. And for the nation of Israel, whether it would be after they would enter into the land of Canaan and they would worship the gods of the Philistines and the Canaanites and the Moabites, they were always wanting to slide back into idolatry because there's a couple of reasons. Number one, it's a lot easier to worship something you can see than something you can't see. The Bible says the essence of faith is is the belief in those things that are unseen. Faith is the substance of things not seen, the evidence of things hoped for. And so it takes faith to worship the Lord God Almighty. A lot easier to worship something in front of you. Not only that, but the idols always appealed to their most base fleshly natures and so included with their idol worship was sexual immorality sorcery drunkenness revelry partying all that was going on it was all a part of their idolatry and their idol worship so it appeals to the natural senses of man it also gives them something visual to look at and, and, and it's amazing, God is on top of the mountain and he's writing down these laws for Moses and the first law is thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so he comes down off of the mountain and what are they doing? They're worshiping a God that they can see. Having a drunken orgy in front of these gods and Moses gets angry and you know the story, he breaks the tablets and God by this time is angry. You have here a very angry God because they have put other gods in front of him. Now, listen, you may not have a statue in your backyard you bow down to, but we've got gods all around us in America. Greed and covetousness and our money and our stuff and our things and our relationships, and there's a ton of stuff we put right before God. Gets angry, he says, let me wipe them out. Let, Let me destroy them. Let me just... Blot them off the face of the earth, and I'll start over with a new people. And it's, and it's in that backdrop that with this scripture I read to you comes to light. Moses says, Lord, you can't kill them. You made a promise to Abraham and Isaac and Israel. You made a promise to them not to kill them. You gave me a promise to them to give them a land. You will be a laughing stock. Did you bring them out here to kill them? He begins to pray and plead with God. He begins to intercede for the people of Israel. And because of that, God relents and changes his mind unbelievable the power of his prayer one moment I'm going to destroy him I'm going to wipe him out and then he comes back and says you know what because of your prayers I will not do it it's an amazing thing the Lord relented this story just shows you a little bit the power of prayer the power of prayer to change the actions of almighty God And what I'm saying in a nutshell today is your prayers make a difference. They make a difference. Prayer should not be seen as the last resort. After I've tried everything else, I guess we'll pray. Try all we can in our own strength and then we seek God or or our last hope. But prayer is literally a powerful weapon of spiritual warfare to bring change. It's the most powerful thing we can do. Let me me run that by you again. As a child of God, the very most powerful thing you can do is pray. 
Now, intellectually, we believe in the power of prayer. But it's usually the last thing we attempt when everything else has failed. I I will tell you, prayer is not only the most powerful thing you can do, it may be the most challenging and difficult thing we do. Because distractions are abound everywhere. Everything, everything in, in life is to distract you and get you off of prayer. There will be obstacles that will come in your way. Everything will happen that will get you to stop praying because Satan really doesn't get nervous until we begin to pray. And when we begin to pray, Satan gets very upset and very nervous because we are, we're, we're in spiritual warfare and we're doing spiritual, we're coming against the forces of darkness. And so he will give every distraction and every obstacle possible to keep you off that prayer track. He don't want you praying. Few believers ever reach God's place of power because only a few believers commit to God's time of prayer. Here's a quotation. The lazy man does not, will not, and cannot pray, for prayer demands energy. You ever thought about what would happen if Moses hadn't prayed, if Moses hasn't pleaded with God on that occasion? What what would have happened? Well, first of all, thousands of lives would have been lost. There are estimates about 2 million people possibly that were traveling through the wilderness at this time. Stories would have never been told. Plans would have been ruined If he had not prayed, but he did pray, and God changed his mind. Ephesians 6, 12 describes a little bit about our warfare. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces in heavenly places. We are in a spiritual warfare. We are in a wrestling match today, and it's all about prayer. If this world is going to change, it's not just that we win the battle in the physical realm. It is going to be won first in the spiritual realm. And the spiritual realm, the enemy is engaged through prayer. Warfare, prayer. Prayer is war. It is war in the heavenly realms. It is releasing the captives. It is, it is, it is moving heaven and earth. Prayer. I want to show you a little clip. About a man who prayed, the weather changed, and uh, he's a very, very colorful character. Uh, Take a look at this clip. You want to see me, General? Oh, yeah, Chaplain. I'm sick and tired of Third Army having to fight the Germans. The Supreme Command, no gasoline, and now this ungodly weather. I want a prayer, a weather prayer. Weather prayer, sir? Yes, let's see if you can't get God working with us in this thing. going to take a pretty thick rug for that kind of praying. I don't care if it takes a flying carpet. Well, I don't know how this is going to be received, General. Praying for good weather so we can kill our fellow man. Well, I can assure you, sir, because of my intimate relations with the Almighty, if you write a good prayer, we'll have good weather. I expect that prayer within an hour. Yes, sir.
Almighty and most merciful Father, we humbly beseech thee of thy great goodness to restrain this immoderate weather with which we've had to contend. Grant us fair weather for battle. Graciously hearken to us as soldiers who call upon thee that armed with thy power, we may advance from victory to victory and crush the oppression and wickedness of our enemies and establish thy justice among men and nations. Wow. Prayer, in this instant, changed the weather. Patton goes into one of the greatest battles on the front, wins a decisive victory. Prayer in the spiritual arena changes the environment. When you begin to involve in warfare praying, strategic praying, intense warfare prayers, it changes the environment in the heavenly realms. And it allows God to give us victories in our life and see people changed. Men and women are held captive in darkness by Satan, by the enemy. The only way that darkness is going to be taken off, the only way their eyes are going to be opened up is if we begin to pray and seek the face of the Lord for them and engage in spiritual warfare. Prayer. Incredible power of weaponry. Now, I want to take you to the New Testament, turn to Acts chapter 4, and we're going to stay there most of the rest of the service today. I want to give you some examples of warfare praying, strategic praying, spiritual warfare, Acts chapter 4, and you're going to see an incredible warfare prayer right here by the early church and how it literally changed the environment they were in. And uh, you're going to love this story. Acts 4, 23, and on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. Take your Bibles out and follow along. And reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant and your father, David. Why do the nations rage? The people plot in vain, and the kings of the earth take their stand, and rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, now let me give you the background to this passage very quickly. It goes back to Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are on their way to the temple. The Bible's very clear to say it's the hour of prayer. It was a part of their daily 
routine. And they go through the gate beautiful. The irony is, by the gate beautiful, the beggars are all placed. And there's a lame man that is there that has been begging for alms. And, and remember, Peter, they said, uh, give me some money. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. Rise and walk. And he gets up and begins to walk. Now, Peter never wasted a time to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you've got crowds gathering around. They see a man who'd been lame, who everybody passed in the temple area. He had been lame. They noticed he lame. He hadn't walked for years. Uh, and now he's jumping around and praising the Lord. A crowd gathers, and Peter preaches the Lord Jesus Christ. He says he's crucified and risen again. And many believed on the Lord in that time. Well, what happens, it's stirring up everything that the Sanhedrin had already tried to put down by crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they call Peter and John in for trial. They put him in prison and then they bring him up to trial. Uh, look at what it says in chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. They tell him, don't talk about Jesus anymore. Talk about the weather, talk about sports, talk about anything you want to, just don't name Jesus, okay? And then he says in verse 19, and Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Anyway, they said again, keep your mouth shut, don't talk about it any longer, and they release them and they go back. Now when they go back, they go back and tell all the disciples what had just happened. That persecution's intensifying. They have been called in for talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and, uh, and what's going on. And, and potential uh, punishment, jail, death maybe awaits them. But the church didn't respond in fear. They didn't hide in their bunkers and hide out in their places of prayer, in their times alone with God. They, they just didn't hide out. But they have a prayer meeting right there on the spot. And there's a great sense of urgency. And the Bible says they lifted their voices in one accord and they prayed this prayer I just read to you and the entire place where they were was shaken. Now I want to propose to you today we need God to shake America again. This country's in a mess. We need to pray for our elections. It's a mess. I've never seen anything so crazy in my entire life. Our lives are in a mess. Our families are in a mess. Our communities are in a mess. And what we need is God sovereignly to come down and begin to shake things up because the status quo is not working. Now, I want to give you three convictions concerning prayer, and I want you to jot these down. Number one, first of all, I believe prayer changes situations. The place where they were at was shaken. Prayer is not just something we do because it's on my to-do list. Now, if you've got lists, and it should be a priority. It should be the first thing we do. It should be the most important thing of our day, but we just don't do it as an obligation I've got to pray today. Prayer isn't just to ask God forgiveness when we blow it. Now, we do blow it, and we do sin, and the Bible says whenever we do, we can come boldly to the throne of grace, and we can find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. So when we do sin, I have an advocate with the Father, and I can go to him and say, forgive me, I messed up, cleanse me. But it's not just for when we mess up. Prayer is powerful because it connects us with an all-powerful God. Let me make that statement again. 
Prayer is powerful because it connects me with an all-powerful God. I want to break this disciples' prayer down to you that they prayed in Acts chapter 4. And I want to give you just some, some pointers now on how do you pray warfare prayer. Well, the first thing they did is found in verse number 24. Look at it again. It says, uh, and when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, it's you who made the heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. Number one, prayer has its foundation in the belief in the absolute sovereignty and power of God. If you don't believe that, your prayers will mean nothing. It always starts out with, you are sovereign Lord, you are in control, you're greater than my situation, you're greater than anything else, you made the heavens and the earth, all things are possible through you. It begins with the premise that God is sovereign. And they recognize that. God's in charge. Nothing escapes his knowledge. Listen, there are times you may feel like you're all alone and you're by yourself and evil is winning and no one sees what's going on in your life and no one cares about what's happening to you. But God, the creator of the heaven and the earth, he knows what you're going through. He sees what's happening in your family. He hears your cries. He cares about what you're going through. And he's greater than any obstacle or any storm you can ever face in life. My God is greater The God who made the universe is able to hear your prayers and act on your prayers and change the situation. He can move your mountains. If you pray in faith believing, you can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. And so whatever mountain or challenge or obstacle you're facing, my God is great enough to change the situation. And if the answer is not immediate, don't give up. Don't stop praying. Don't quit trusting in God. But trust that the sovereign Lord God, who made the heavens and the earth, that he will be there with me through the fiery trial. And even if I go through a trial, God will not leave me, and he will not forsake me. And he also knows, he says in his word, the trying of of your faith work that the try, trials and tests work faith in your life develop faith in your life develop patience in your life and i trust god's promise all things work together for good and so god is sovereign so when i start that spiritual warfare prayer i start out with saying god you're mighty god you can do all things god you made everything around me god you are absolutely in control you're in charge and i put my faith in you i believe god you are good and you are big enough the second thing about this prayer is amazing look at the next two verses verses 25 and 26 you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your father David, your servant and father David. Why do the nations rage? The peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord, against his anointed one. Now what are they doing? They are quoting Psalm chapter 2, verses the first part of that psalm, verses 1 through 6. In other words, their prayer is lining up with the word of God. If you are going to be involved in spiritual warfare praying, it needs to line up with the will and word of God. 
And so they literally begin to pray God's word. They're praying God's word back to him. Isn't that amazing? What a powerful prayer. Now, now just to understand the significance of this portion of the prayer, you've got to go back to Psalm chapter 2. And let me give you the background. In this day and age, when a new king would come over and take over a land or an area or a region, all the surrounding kings would bring him tribute. They would bring him gifts. They would bring him money. They would bring him precious jewels and stuff to honor him as the new king over the area. The governors had to bring it in, all the surrounding kings. Anybody who would come under his rule and his authority brought tribute to him. But some of the nations would refuse to do that. They would say, I'm not going to honor the new king. I'm not going to serve him. I'm not bringing anything to him. And they would literally rebel against the new king and the new ruler in that kingdom. And so they would defy the king and they would say, we are breaking your chains and we are separating ourselves from you. Now, he uses this analogy in Psalm 2 and to say, why do the nations break your chains and break your fetters and try to separate from the rule of Almighty God? He says, God has established his anointed one, Jesus Christ, as the new king over all the world. He says, the nations rise up against Jesus Christ and they rebel against him. What does it say God does? God laughs at them. Because how can you rebel against the creator of the heavens and the earth? It's ridiculous. God says, I raised up Jesus Christ. Who are you to rebel against him? So here's what happens. Herod rebels against Christ. Judas Iscariot rebels against Christ. The Jewish leaders rebel against Christ. The Romans rebel against Christ. And what do they do? They have him crucified. But Jesus, God laughs because three days later, he raises his son up from the grave. He laughs at all their attempts to try to destroy Jesus. Forty days later, he raises him up into the heavens and seats him in his own right hand, that place of all rule and power and authority. And so when the nations come against God and they come against his anointed one, the psalmist says God laughs at their attempts to break his chains. All a part of God's great plan. Now, here's what happens. Why do they quote this here? The disciples realize that what they try to do with Jesus Christ, they will also do with the followers of Jesus Christ. What am I saying? Persecution is going to come. Peter and John realize this. The disciples realize this. They're going to be stoned to death. They're going to have their heads chopped off. They're going to be uh, beaten, they're going to be put in jails, they're going to be put in prison, they had just been persecuted, it's going to get worse, and what do they do? They quote Psalm 2, God's up in heaven laughing because ultimately God wins. God wins. He always wins. What happened to Jesus was going to happen to Peter and to John. It's the same thing that's happening today all around the world. In the Sudan, when believers are being killed for their faith and witness and testimony in Jesus Christ. In Syria, as believers are being killed. In Egypt, in China, 
in North Korea. There have been more martyrs in the last generation than at any time in the history of our world. But to quote Psalm 2, God laughs because he wins. God is on his throne and we win. And he ends up Psalm 2 and verse 9, blessed are all those who take refuge in him. And so what are they praying? This is a very, very powerful spiritual warfare prayer. And they are saying in effect, God, no matter what ever comes against me, I trust in you and sovereign Lord, you will see me through and we will win. The third part of this prayer is found in verses 27 and 28. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. In other words, everything they did in coming against God and his anointed one was all according to the will and power and plan of God ordained ahead of time. So what do we do? How do we pray? If I'm going to pray spiritual warfare prayer, I'm going to have to pray in faith that God is in control. Faith. I may not always understand what's going on around me. I may not see it immediately in the visible but I still believe by faith that it's working according to good, according to God's plan for me and my life and those around me. And so warfare praying is always faith-based praying. Faith is the substance of things not seen. But I keep praying and I keep believing and I don't stop and I don't quit and I don't let go. Warfare praying. Prayer is believing that God can overrule the worst that man can do. God can simply overrule it. Brings out his best. The cross and resurrection are all a part of God's plan. And so all this must have brought incredible courage and strength to the disciples who are about to go the most intense persecution you could ever imagine. God never wastes anything He can even bring good out of the evil that man tries to do. And that's the point of this prayer. They killed Jesus. You raised him up. God can overrule what man tries to do or attempts to do. Finally, verses 29 and 30. Look at the the fourth part of this prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak the word with great boldness. Stretch your hands to heal. Perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What are they praying for? They don't pray for protection. They pray for boldness. Let me say that again. In warfare praying, they don't pray for protection, which I would have been doing. God save me. God protect me. God keep me safe. God don't let them kill me. They pray for boldness. Look at the limits of their boldness. God, that you will do more signs and more wonders. What got them in trouble in the first place? When they said, rise and be healed, and the guy stands up and walks, and now they're thrown in jail. They're going to be beaten for that. What do they do? God, grant that your servants may continue to speak your word with greater boldness, greater authority, do signs and wonders, do all the stuff. 
There was no regard for their own lives. It was all about the kingdom of God. Philip Brooks makes this quotation. Listen to it. It's great. Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your task. All trouble began when the lame man was healed and they prayed for more miracles which would bring more problems and troubles. And God answered their prayer and they had more boldness than ever before and God did incredibly great miracles and God shook the place where they were praying together in that prayer meeting but God would eventually shake the entire Roman Empire. Prayer is a biblical response to your enemies. When people come against you, don't get on Facebook. Don't talk back against them. Don't try to defend yourself. Uh, What's the biblical response to your enemies? Pray. Pray. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Pray. Prayer will break down that bitterness and anger in your heart you've got. Prayer will give you the power to move mountains. Uh, Prayer is the pathway into the Lord's presence. Uh, Prayer will give you power to heal the sick. Pray. Prayer changes your situation. So what do, we need? what do you need the most in your life right now? We're going to change our world. It starts with prayer. Number two, prayer changes you. Changes you. So not only does it change your environment in the heavenlies and your situation you're facing, Allows God to do the miraculous on your behalf. It, something happens when you become a person of prayer. You're the one who has changed the most. Changes you. It says in this text, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Not only does it change what's happening around you, it begins to change what's happening inside of you. And so that's why prayer is so important. It allows God to change me. It will change the way you see God. It'll change the way you live your life. It changes you. My impossibilities begin to look more possible. Why? Because I've been praying. I've been seeking the face of God. I've been in my prayer closet. I've been waiting on the Lord. My desire to be with him goes up. And the more I spend time with him, the more I become like him. And God changes me from glory to glory, grace to grace. And I become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit came in. It filled them again. They're filled in Acts chapter 2. They are once again filled with the Spirit again in Acts chapter 4. Why? Because they prayed and the Holy Spirit changes them. And the Holy Spirit gives them power to preach the Word of God with great boldness. Uh, The Holy Spirit gave them power to do signs and wonders. We can't change the world around us until God first changes us. If we're going to really be serious about changing our world, and this is more than just a catchy sermon series, if we're going to be serious about changing our world, God first has to change us, me. And when he changes me, when I'm full of the Holy Spirit, then I can begin to change the world. Right? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Just one quick verse here. Look at it if you would in your word, your Bibles. Verse number 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory 
are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory that comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Now, let me just give you an axiom. We all say we want to be like Jesus, right? I mean, that's, if you're a child of God, you want to be like Jesus. How do we become like Jesus? Well, how did Moses get changed in the glory? He goes up into the mountain, spends time with God. He comes back down, and his face is glowing, If we want to be more like Jesus and have that heavenly glow, his presence, how's that come? Spending time with him. Every time you go to the tent of meetings, hang out with Jesus, talk to God, talk to God the Father. Every time he talked to God, he'd come out, his face was glowing. The Israelites are, he says the glory that we have today is greater than the glory Moses had on his face. Moses' glory was always a receding glory. It would fade away. But the glory God's given us is a glory that never fades away because Christ lives in me. He is with me. But I want to propose to you the more time you will spend in his presence, the more you'll begin to look like him and talk like him and act like him because prayer changes me. Glory to glory. The third thing is prayer changes others. Prayer changes others. It says they continue to speak the word with great boldness. It's an amazing statement because persecution's intensifying. John the Baptist has already been beheaded. They've already crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Stephen would be stoned to death by the time you get to Acts chapter 7. Uh, Paul is going to be imprisoned. He is going to be beaten. He's going to be stoned, all because he's preaching with great boldness. I want to tell you a quick story. Acts chapter 12. Don't leave me now. You got to get this. They, They seize James, the brother of John, and they put him in jail. They put him in prison. He would be beheaded for who he was. So he is the second martyr that's recorded in the book of Acts. Stephen the first, now James the brother of John. When Herod saw that it pleased the crowds, he also seized Peter. So the church commences to pray. Now I'm sure they prayed for James as well. So I want you to understand something here. They prayed for James. They pray for Peter. James is beheaded. They're praying for Peter. They continue to pray for Peter, and an angel comes down, and there's all kinds of guards around there. The angel ushers him out. Prison bars are opening up. Uh, The the guards are falling back. They're blinded or whatever he does, and he just kind of walks by them all and takes them out of prison. He's locked in the inner chambers, goes through a set of jails, bars, and he releases him. Peter goes to the house where they're having a prayer meeting. Mary's house, Rhoda is there. Rhoda answers the door. Knock, 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 knock. They answer the door. Rhoda sees Peter. She is so excited, she shuts the door in his face. She runs back in and says, Peter's at the door. He's here. God answered our prayer. Now listen to their response. You're out of your mind. You read it in the NIV. That's exactly what they said. You are out of your mind. And then they came back with a second response. It must be an angel. Now, I want you to follow me here. And this is sometimes what we miss in this text. 
They were more surprised at at Peter's release than they were at James' execution. And we're just the opposite. We're surprised when we get persecuted. Why me, God? We're surprised when we go through a trial or test. God, it's not fair. And we get all messed up when we go through difficult times. Listen, if you're a child of God, expect it. It's going to happen. If it's not happening, you're not involved in very intense spiritual warfare. You're just coasting through life. Never opposition. Never persecution. Never anybody coming against you. The Bible says all those who are godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. They were not surprised that James was beheaded. The church had come to expect that if we give our all for the kingdom of God, it will likely end in our death. And even though Peter's released on this instant because he still was needed in this early church, he would later be crucified and that upside down because he says, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So they put him on a cross, they put it upside down in the ground and he died that way. And we get all bent out of shape when we go through a tough patch. A little wind blows through our city. Whatever it is, I don't know. But they came to expect persecution for the sake of the kingdom of God because they are involved in the most spiritually intense warfare that you could ever know, the launching of the early church. The, The future of the kingdom of God depended on these guys. We're just the opposite. We want the release. We want the freedom. They would face death. They were praying for Peter's release. When we intercede for our loved ones, here's what my point. When you intercede for others, you are praying for their release from spiritual bondage. They are in jail. They are in prison. They are in darkness to Satan. And so when you do intense spiritual warfare, what you are saying is, God of heaven, Lord God Almighty, sovereign Lord who can change anything. My son's doing drugs. Uh, He's shacking up with his girlfriend. He's a mess. He's so far from God. My, My family's messed up. Our neighborhoods are messed up. Our schools are messed up. God, set them free from the darkness they're in. That's spiritual warfare prayer. And when you begin to intently pray that way, God begins to change other people around you. Don't stop praying. Spiritual warfare for the souls of men and women. Spiritual warfare moves one forward, one soul at a time. Spiritual warfare moves forward one soul at a time. I started with the story of Moses. He pleaded with God, and he changed the mind of God, and God withheld withheld judgment. I want to ask you a question. Who is pleading for your family right now? Who's pleading for your coworkers at work right now? Who's pleading for your friends? Who's pleading for Somerville? Who's crying out today? When the disciples prayed, the place was shaken. The Holy Spirit came down, and later it would say in the book of Acts, these are those who have turned the world upside down. Let me just tell you very quickly, Faith Assembly has many, many opportunities to pray. 
I want to remind you of them again because I believe God wants to raise up more intercessors out of this body. We have a group of intercessors that meet every Wednesday night. They meet in that prayer room. Sometimes they pray around the sanctuary, but they pray and they seek the face of God, and and you are welcome to come and join them. They get involved in serious, serious warfare praying, 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Our men has a strategic prayer meeting that meets on Thursday nights. They meet in the prayer room as well, and Barney Barnes leads this. He's all about warfare. He, you just talk to Barney for five minutes. You can't, he can't talk for five minutes. I'm talking about spiritual warfare. It comes up, and they intercede and pray. We have a group of ladies now that are praying for America. They meet on Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock. They are praying for our nation. They are praying for our governments. They are praying for this election, and they are praying for America. This is a very, very critical time. The, 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 the next president will, will nominate three to four Supreme Court justices. It, it, they are ruling the land. It's the Supreme Court that's running our, our nation right now. If you don't believe it, just look at the marriage laws in the last few years. Look at the abortions that are going on every day. Just, just take a look at it. Our staff and our college meet on Monday mornings. We meet at 8 o'clock in the upper room. We call it the upper room. It's in Building 6. And we get around and we pray, and we pray from 8 to 9. You are welcome to join us up there. You're welcome to pray with us and seek the Lord as you start your week out. And so we do that every week. Dr. R.A. Torrey makes this statement. Pray for great things, expect great things, work for great things. But above all, pray. God wants to shake the earth. He wants to, and when he shakes the earth, he will rattle the kingdoms of darkness. And he will execute judgment on our enemies, and he will release captives. The enemy will have to let them go. But it will happen only as we pray. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.